time for the Susan Taylor Podcast, where we discuss the yoga of mind, medicine, and healing. Author of Feeling Good Matters, Sexual Radiance, and the Vital Energy Program, Dr. Taylor imparts authentic knowledge and practical tools that inspire, educate, and empower us to be a healing force for positive change. So join us and take your life and our planet to the next level. Hello and welcome to episode 98. Is your nervous system a bit shaky? Adopt a new way of breathing. Our nervous system dictates our emotional and physical health. And previous research established the gut as the major regulator of motivational and emotional states. But recent research also sheds light on that gut-brain neuronal circuitry in our health. And in today's episode, I'd like to talk about how to build a stable and strong nervous system, how breathing affects your nervous system, as well as two practices to get started. In yoga science, we focus on having a stable and strong nervous system, and that's essential to a healthy body and mind. Emphasis is placed on our breathing habits. And it's through breathing that we gain access to our autonomic nervous system. And whether that determines whether we're calm and resilient or stimulated and scattered. Your nervous system is built around the balance of two opposing actions. The sympathetic nervous system, which is associated with fight or flight response. And that's the result of releasing cortisol and other stress chemicals throughout the bloodstream. And then there's the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system, which is associated with relaxation, digestion, and actually regeneration. And these two parts of your autonomic nervous system are actually meant to work in a rhythmic alteration. You know, a process that supports healthy rhythms of alertness and restfulness that facilitate our physical and mental health. So what prevents us from having a balance between the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, those branches? Well, chronic stress, and I'm sure that's not new to any of you that are listening. Also negativity and unresolved issues that may have occurred in our life. You know, we live in a world of total overstimulation from marketing ads to tweets to texts to just iPhones, iPads, just we're so inundated with technology that it does lead to sympathetic nervous system arousal. And if we acknowledge this, we can do something about it by learning to create balance by engaging the parasympathetic nervous system regularly. And how do we do this? Well, you've heard me say it before, it's regulated by our breath. Why? Because the way we breathe gives us access to the vagus nerve and that's the and breathing is our only autonomic function that we can consciously change by regulating our breathing. And it's through this nerve called the vagus nerve. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. So we can say that our breathing habit dictates the strength and resilience of our nervous system. So let's see how it works. Let's take a look at the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is essentially the queen of the parasympathetic nervous system. It's responsible for our rest and digest, or whether we relax, or as we say, let's just chill out. So that's all resulting in stimulation of the parasympathetic nervous system. So the more things we do that stimulate or activate it, like diaphragmatic breathing, the more we can get rid of or banish the effects of sympath sympathetic arousal or overstimulation. 
For example, that fight or flight that we're talking about, the stress circuit, that's associated with the sympathetic nervous system. So the vagus nerve is the longest nerve of all our cranial nerves, and it contains motor and sensory fibers for the science people out there. And it passes through the neck and thorax to the abdomen. That's why it's called the vagus nerve, the wandering nerve. And traditionally, scientists believe that the nerve exclusively just mediated suppressive functions, such as whether we're full or nauseous, in contrast to really circulating hormones rather than vagal transmission. Uh, you know, we're thought to convey, you know, reward signals from the gut to the brain. So we know now evidence in the last decade shows this bi-directional communication, and I've done many podcasts on this, takes place via this vagus nerve. So as I said, the vagus nerve does play a central role in our emotional and physical health. And as I mentioned also, it's Latin, comes from a Latin word meaning wandering, and rightly so. And it does supply motor parasympathetic fibers to all the organs, except of course, our adrenal glands. And it uh, originates in our brain, in the brain region actually specifically called the medulla. It's in the brainstem. And it extends, as I mentioned, down the neck. So the back of the neck to the second segment of the transverse colon. So it also is known to control a few skeletal muscles in the mouth and throat region. And that's why when we get all choked up, when we get nervous, it's because we have sympathetic stimulation. And what happens is we don't have that parasympathetic stimulation of the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve has an inhibitory influence upon the sympathetic nervous system activity. In other words, practices that stimulate the vagus nerve have a calming effect on our body and mind. You know, you would think contrary when you hear the word stimulate, you would think that it means to get us stimulated, but no, it actually stimulating the vagus nerve gives us that relax and rest symptom that comes with that. Healthy vagal tone can be thought of as optimal balance of the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system actions that allow us to respond with resilience to the ups and downs of life. And there are breathing practices that focus on stimulating the vagus nerve, and they can help us regain balance if we're either keyed up with anxiety or shut down with fatigue. So I mentioned that the vagus nerve extends from the brainstem down through your stomach and intestines, innervating your heart and lungs and connecting your throat and facial muscles. So we really wanna be able to have conscious control over this. Research shows that the way we breathe does affect our heart rate, and you're wondering how does this relate, and I'll tell you in a minute. Heart rate, blood pressure, and even if we, even giving us the ability to relax. So with the help of biofeedback, the approach attempts to coordinate breathing with heart rate, slowing and steadying breathing to slow, to, to slow down so that we can stabilize the heartbeat. Now, yoga science has known that slow, deep breathing increases activity of the vagus nerve, which again is part of that parasympathetic nervous system. And the vagus nerve does control and also measures the activity of many of our internal organs, as I just mentioned. I'm repeating some of these because we're listening on a podcast. And for those that are new to this, I want to just uh, repeat some of the strong points of the vagus nerve. So we know when it's stimulated, we calm our body down. That means our heart rate slows. Our blood pressure decreases and our muscles relax. That's the specifics because it does inform the brain to change into peacefulness. And the technique will work. And I'm going to talk about that as we end the podcast towards the end, two breathing practices that you can do. 
So let's put it another way. Your body senses your breathing and adapts its heart rate in response. When we inhale, our sensory nodes on our lungs, they're called lung stretch receptors, send information up through the vagus nerve and into the brain. And when we breathe out, the brain sends information back down through the vagus nerve to slow down or speed up the heart, depending how we breathe. So when we breathe slowly, the heart slows and we relax. Conversely, when we breathe quickly, when we get anxious about something, our breath changes, but also our heart speeds up and we feel amped up and anxious. And that's all controlled by our mind, the feeling to the thought, and then that thought amps us up or slows us down. So our exhalation that triggers the relaxation response, we know that because vagal activity is highest and the heart rate is lowest when you're exhaling. And that's why yogis have given us practices centuries ago for wanting to have these kind of breathing practices to have a sound mind and body. So what type of diaphragmatic breathing exercises, I'm giving it away, and techniques should you use? Well, we first know when it comes to effective vagal changes, any type of deep, slow diaphragmatic breathing during which you're using the lower part of your lungs will help. So when you do this, you're imagining inhaling as if you're filling up your lower, let's, let's use abdominal breathing here with a little bit of rib cage expansion. If you're sitting, you're filling up a balloon. And then when you're exhaling, you're deflating that balloon. And that's a simplified version of abdominal diaphragmatic breathing in which you're going to stimulate your vagus nerve and activate your parasympathetic nervous system and actually improve your heart rate variability. Let me just talk about that for a second. Heart rate variability is a broad measure of our overall health and fitness and a biomarker for homeostatic capacity as well as a healthy lifespan. So people have done a lot of work on that. It actually measures the variability of the time gap between heartbeats and can be calculated by many devices. So heart rate variability, uh, a low heart rate variability is unfavorable and it indicates that you have a dominant sympathetic fight or flight nervous system, okay? And it's associated with stress and inflammation. So what we can do, we want it, uh, we also know that low heart rate, let me say one more thing here, low heart rate variability may also suggest anxiety, depression, or health concerns. But on the other side of the coin, we have high heart rate variability, and that's associated with activation of your parasympathetic, your rest and digest nervous system, and relaxation, and equanimity. So high heart rate variability, that's what we're looking for, indicates your body has a good homeostatic. We know that means balance, capacity, and can recover easily from stressors that we get in life. So that's why we bring that in. So diaphragmatic breathing, back to what I started with, will improve your heart rate variability, hence why I just spoke about that for a moment. So with this in mind, the most immediate way to change the balance of sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system actions is with our breath. So we're going to counterbalance, counterbalance our overstimulation of sympathetic tone, and we're going to focus on diaphragmatic breathing to extend the length of our exhale. For those interested in furthering your knowledge, you can study some of the research done by Dr. Stephen uh, Porges, who offers advanced understanding of the inner, uh, autonomic nervous system, especially when we relate to trauma and uh, PTSD. So 
keep that in mind. So our students learn diaphragmatic breathing and are instructed to practice diaphragmatic breathing as part of our everyday habit uh, of breathing. I've seen in many uh, studies just do it when you feel anxiety. No, diaphragmatic breathing should be your everyday breath because children up to the age of five breathe diaphragmatically and you watch the belly and the rib cage move when they're walking around and standing and only through conditioning through our mind do we change that habit. So we're not just doing it in our yoga class or our mindfulness meditation class, okay? Some diaphragmatic breathing techniques prescribe inhaling and exhaling via mouth breathing. We do not advise this since the nasal passages are essential to the neurological signaling in the brain. Again, that's a specialty that we advise in our practice, in our teaching here. A typical exercise that we do to regulate our breathing is diaphragmatic breathing, as I said. And once that's established, then we go to exercises involving what I call one-to-one breathing, even breathing, and two-to-one breathing. And I'll tell you what they are. So one-to-one breathing would be inhaling, let's say, for three to five seconds and exhaling for the same amount of time. So three to five in, three to five out. So it's a one-to-one ratio. I like to start with exhale to inhale because you have to exhale and create space to inhale. Again, so we exhale for three and inhale for three. Many teachers start with inhale for three and then exhale because people are afraid to exhale. It can produce anxiety. But the more advanced students, we start with exhale. The second practice that we teach is spending more time on exhaling than on inhaling. So for example, we will exhale for six, inhale for three, or exhale for four seconds, inhale for two seconds. And again, that comes over time. The nervous system needs to be strengthened and balanced. That's why I started, is your nervous system a bit shaky? It gets shaky when we feel we don't have enough breath. So training the mind through breathing practices and training the body using diaphragmatic breathing, we build the resilience and strength of the nervous system, which allows us to have a more resilient uh, mind, a stronger life, and better health, actually. So we know that our heart our heart rate does increase slightly when we inhale and decreases when we exhale. So when we draw out that second phase of exhalation, when we exhale longer, we actually lower our heart rate. And we do this in many of our meditation classes so people can have the experience yourself. So I'll give you what that is. Take your pulse for 60 seconds and then practice breathing longer exhale, even if you can't do two to one, try just longer than inhale and do that for about three to five minutes and then take your pulse again for a minute and watch your heart rate will have decreased if you're not chest breathing. And it does quiet the heart and it actually uh, gets that through the brain. So this possibility remains to be confirmed by clinical studies. However, we have seen it exist when we do Uh, this kind of training and we let the students experience it for themselves. But do your own research. Do the practice and see if it works for you and take what works for you and discard what doesn't work for you because it's all about your own research, research on yourself. And that brings us to the end of this episode. And if you'd like to be notified weekly for new podcasts, please subscribe on susantaylor.org. Or you can also go to the YouTube website that we have where we have our podcasts posted. And we also have iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn where you can also listen. And please 
If you do like this podcast, share it with your colleagues, friends, family. Any questions, comments, or feedback, by all means, send them our way, and I'd be glad to post a podcast and do something on your behalf. And again, until next time, what do we need to do? Remain calm, consciously aware, living in the moment.